in preparation for today's message. We shall be reading from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 52 to 65. Again, that is John, chapter 6, verses 52 to 65. Please open your Bibles to that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Let us all rise in reverence to the word of God. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may not be seated. Last Sunday, the title of the message was The Father's Role. This Sunday, the title is The Spirit's Role. Although there are themes, major themes that will be repeated, it would be one of the few times at this stage that the Lord Jesus would mention the Spirit, but later on he will explain more about the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important? Somehow, John, the author, who is the son of Zebedee, one of the apostles, not John the Baptist, by the way, also known as John the Beloved, wants to show us, he wanted to show us who Jesus is and what's the connection of the Father and the Spirit how all of them are God and all of them have a role in the salvation of man. 
The Lord Jesus made it clear that those who believe have eternal life. When we say believe, it means those who genuinely believe because there is a fake type of disciple, a fake belief. Those who genuinely believe come from the Father. They come from the Father. Now, in response to the people's reference to the manna in their history, which they did in previous verses, Jesus clarified that the ancestors ate the manna, but still died. Manna was what the Lord, the Father, provided the people of Israel when they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. They were supposed to conquer Canaan, but they were afraid. They did not trust in God to teach them a lesson for generations to come. They were not allowed to enter the promised land, even though they changed their minds. We should, but they were defeated immediately. They wandered around the desert or the wilderness, and the Lord provided every morning there is this sweet honey type of bread that they collect in the morning in the camp. And that was free of charge. So these people were mentioning after being fed by the bread, the multiplication of bread, they were looking for that. Can you keep doing this? Because our ancestors, well, they referred to them and we know the history. But the Lord made them focus on, let's not focus on bread that is temporal. That after you eat it, you'll still be hungry. Focus on me, the bread from heaven, the bread of life. That if you partake of this kind of bread, you will live forever. You will not go hungry again. Of course, the Lord used metaphors. Figures of speech. And many of us who study English, that's the part where it's hard to understand. The figure of speech. Figures of speech like simile or metaphor, hyperbole or onomatopoeia. For writers, you are familiar. My favorite is onomatopoeia. You know what that is? It's making the sound he vroomed away from here. That's onomatopoeic. He is like the mountain. He's strong. He's not a mountain. He's a human. But he's like a mountain. But sometimes metaphors are more subtle. He killed him like a man would kill a chicken. Gee, it's shocking, right? Jesus was saying, you ate that bread. Let me give you true bread that comes from the Father. But the clue of eating the bread was already given by Christ, but they could not think of it because they were still eating, thinking of eating and feeding themselves. It was on verse 35 and 36 that it is about, it's about believing. What does it mean to eat, partake? It is believing in who Jesus is and his purpose on earth as he was sent by the Father. But they would not get it, although he already said it. 
Some of us, all of us, sometimes have a certain listening deficiency. It happens to everyone. But for others, it's more of a habit. They can't listen to certain phrases. They can't listen to certain types of communication. They will be only selective with the communication that they like. And oftentimes, the breakdown of relationship is sometimes that. People not wanting to understand or listen because it hurts too much. Either hurts emotionally, it cuts like a knife, or we're too proud. They could not hear it. There's a gap in the listening. And that gap would cost them. Now, he was referring, Jesus, to those who would believe in him. Jesus pursued the metaphor of flesh and blood further. But the people found it difficult to understand. The people grumbled about this metaphor and explanation. But the Lord continued to explain that unless the Father draws them, they cannot believe. Let's read verses 52 to 59. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ah, again, it shows that they were not listening. It was already mentioned in 35, 36, 37, you believe, and all who believe come to me, and that's from the Father. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now look at this verse 54. Where did we see this before? It was part of the explanation and the teaching of Jesus before. About believing in him and about the judgment that was given to him by the Father. And those who will not be judged, the term is, I will uphold them on the last day. They will be declared innocent on judgment day because they believe. They could not see the connection of what the metaphor of what Jesus was saying to his previous statement. They were still thinking of bread. And then now they're thinking, how can you come from heaven? Verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Of course, you would understand to those who don't understand metaphor or figures of speech. This is difficult. I don't know if there were tribes then, maybe there were, who ate people. We 
we know today because they're documentary films of such tribes. <clears throat> and if you're a missionary, you pray that you would not be eaten. Now, Jesus did not deviate from the discussion. He kept saying it. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, he's making the difference, the contrast. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, let me focus on the other things, on other themes in this text because you're saying, well, he's repeating himself. Yes, because they can't get it. And John gave a lot of space to this in his writing. There's a lot of space to this. That's why for me, I need to respect that space. Since he gave a lot of space, I'd like to give a lot of sermons dedicated to it. Haven't you noticed there is a pattern here? He'll say something, they will grumble, and he will explain. That's the pattern. He'll say something, they will grumble, and then he will explain. Kind of pastoring some of you, not all of you, some of you. We will teach, you will grumble, we will explain. Sometimes we don't see you ever again. And some of you come back. Hard saying, point number one. The disciples reacted to his words. They thought it was difficult to understand and listen to such words. The author, John, the beloved, the son of Zebedee, referred to many disciples. Some might be from the Lord's core group or the pseudo-disciples from the crowd. But I believe even if you're from the core group, you'd find it difficult to understand, especially when you don't get the metaphor. Verse 60, let's flash that. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? One might say that the people were not listening carefully. As I mentioned, the clues to the meaning is in the context. Verse 35, now not everyone was, was meant to understand the statements of Jesus at that time. Jesus explained that unless the Father draws a person to him, they cannot believe. Now, how can one wholeheartedly listen and understand the gospel? Let us not forget the Father's role. Now, allow me to make a side inference. It's not explained in the text. John did not explain it in the text, but I will make a side inference. Now, 
one may extend the concept of flesh and blood to the Old Testament sacrifice. You remember, those of you who were here when we had a long series on Exodus? But this is also part of Leviticus. When they sacrifice an innocent animal, they bring them to the front door, but immediately there's an altar there called the brazen altar. There they kill the animal. The blood would pour. They would roast the animal as a sacrifice to God, as a sacrifice for their sins. It's the Old Testament way. And some of that blood will go to another altar inside the tent or the temple called the altar of incense. The blood was poured. What happened to the animal? Roasted animal flesh. What happened? Did they throw them away? No, they did not. It was eaten by the family who offered it together with some of the priests. So the priests were supported by those sacrifices being fed because they had no land. They were not given land, but they became the priesthood. So if you see he who eats my flesh, we would only understand this in that light after he has been sacrificed after the animal was sacrificed, they ate together, somehow celebrating their, their forgiveness and the opportunity to sacrifice. That's why Jesus, on the covenant table, when he introduced the new covenant, as God introduced a covenant, covenant to Abraham, and there is a follow-up covenant to Moses, a preparation for the new covenant, then a covenant with Christ. Of course, David, the covenant was simply a reinforcement of all the covenants. Although it is not the eating, the ordinance of communion that saves you. Again, the context is about believing in the sacrifice of Christ. It's about believing in his sacrifice. That's just a Side reference. Now, why did I have to ask your permission? Because it was not discussed in the text. But if you see the larger part of Scripture, we can make that connection. Now, next point. Spirit gives life. Jesus answered their grumbling by asking if they were offended by his teaching. He then gives a what-if question related to his ascension. It was like saying, if this teaching offends you, wait until I explain the ascension. Now, which was probably harder to understand. If he came down from heaven, definitely he has to go back to heaven. And the apostles saw his ascension, except Judas. We find that in Acts chapter 1. But then in the following text that we will read, he introduced the Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, he made a clear connection to the words he was speaking. Let's not forget that. Verse 61 to 63, let's read. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now we see the Father bringing those who believe to Christ and Christ giving them eternal life will be up they will be upheld in the on judgment day they will not be condemned and then the spirit gives life the lord has been talking about eternal life now it is the same pattern that we can observe in this chapter the people grumbled jesus explained and then there's always an ending after he explained. What it was it? What's the ending? Now, some of you may find it hard to understand. And you're going to say, this is a hard teaching. I can't get it. My advice to you is be patient and keep praying. Because... They would grumble, he would explain, but at the end of the explanation, there's this. Or the main explanation is this, that you, well, you cannot understand unless the Father makes you understand. Wow. Wow, you can only understand if the Father makes you understand. Because he repeated it three times, we cannot reject it nor deny it nor explain it in different ways. We just have to receive the explanation of Christ as it is. Why do we believe? Is it is because of us or because of the Father? Our conclusion is it is because of the Father. But in your memory, no, I'm the one who repented of my sins. I'm the one who believed. I'm the one who read the Bible. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that without the Father working in you. Cannot. Without the Spirit working in you. So the text is, why do some people grumble and can't accept the teachings of Christ? Well, one explanation, one clear explanation is, unless the Father... Now, as I addressed this last Sunday, some of you might be thinking, if it's up to the Father, why should I bother explaining the gospel? Well, context. Jesus was actively explaining who he was about judgment, about everything. It's within this context that he mentioned it, which means you can only believe it and apply it if you are proactively explaining the gospel to others. So as I explained to you as well, it's not, well, I don't have to do anything. Well, if the disciples believe that way of thinking, then why did they go to the ends of the earth? They went to the ends of the earth because they knew that they were part of the instruments that the Father will draw people to him. That's part of the agenda, the plan of God to involve us in the process. Now I'm being advanced, let's go here, just to address an issue that I have encountered many, many years ago until I surrendered to what Scripture said. You know, it was better to surrender. Okay, it's just unless the Father, okay? Unless the Father. The pattern was the same, but here the Holy Spirit was introduced. Difficult. Now, sometimes when you read the Bible, it's difficult. 
That's why we encourage context study. Some will not study. It's just difficult. They won't, they won't face it. <laughs> Sometimes it's like mathematics, right? The brain shuts down. Yeah, when your brain is not used to something, it defends itself. It shuts down. It wants to sleep. But then you have to fight it. No, I will understand this. Because if I don't understand this, I will not pass. So we try that. But the mind tries to sleep. But if you read something else, you don't sleep. You like that novel. You listen to the lecture of the professor recorded Mind trying to shut down, not just because he's boring, but because your mind can't take it. So what do you do? You actually do the opposite. That's how to learn. You wake yourself up and go back to basics again and again and again and again until somehow you understand it. It's just like me doing my doctoral. So many times I wanted just to sleep. Not phase it, delay it, delay it, delay it. But the best thing was to face it head on. And sometimes the teachings of Christ, your mind tries to sleep, right? Once you start reading the Bible, because the mind can't take it, it's not trained to read the Bible, therefore it tries to shut down. But there's another explanation, they say. <laughs> it's a joke, but it, it has some truth. It might have some truth. They say there are little demons hanging onto your eyelids, pulling it down, okay, so that you won't read the Bible. <laughs> so what do you do? You get rid of these little demons away. <laughs> Please don't see demons on your eyelids. Okay, it's a joke, all right? It's a metaphor, if you will. I'm sure some might be taking this literally. Please, please don't. It's going to make you crazy. Now let's go back again to the ending, unless the father. Third time. Jesus knew who did not genuinely believe, the fake disciples and the fake believers. Well, they're actually the same. He also knew who would betray him, Judas Iscariot. The Lord repeated the truth that he already explained that no one can believe in him unless the father grants it. Let's read verses 64 to 65. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning. Now, I don't know where from the beginning is. Is it beginning of time or beginning of his ministry? John did not say. But Ephesians 1.4 would say, before the foundation of the world. Wow. But let's just stay here. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He knew, but that was part of the process. I can show you verses that that man was destined to do what he must do. Ah, difficult teaching, hard to listen to, right? Are you going away? Okay, no comment, all right. <laughs> No, it's just a prelude because that's the next sermon. Jesus was going to ask them, are you going away? <laughs> so uh, that's in advance. Are you going away? Because some of them went away because they could not take the teaching. It's too difficult to understand. 
perhaps even too difficult to apply. Verse 65, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Who grants? It's the Father. Who grants? It's the Father. No matter what difficult teachings of Scripture, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, as we follow what Scripture also said to study, to meditate, to pursue it and learn. But not all of us do it because, one, we're lazy. We have so many excuses and we think our excuses are accepted by God. I'm too busy. Who's not? Who is not? I'm struggling. I have crisis. It's like 90% of Filipinos have a crisis. Right. Some of you have real problems. Okay. Raise your tiny little finger. Come on, be honest. You have problems. I have problems. No, no, it's not the, not every problem is dramatic, but it takes time. You agree? But then we can make up all these excuses. But my response to you is, unless the Father. Because we will encourage you. We will follow you up. But unless the Father. When people did not believe or could not digest his words. In this text, Jesus did not do it always. But in this text, Jesus would explain that it was the Father who draws. Now it's more succinct. Grants, grants. Access to Christ. The author mentioned Judas, the one who would betray him. Now, within the text, come on, use your logical thinking in context study. We assume that Judas was not given access to the Father. Because G. Judas really wanted access where? To the treasury. To the fund. And it wasn't enough. So sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Now before you think he is unfair, read Romans 9. Okay. That's why we had a series before, Romans 1 to end, line by line. Why is it important? Because Paul, the writer of Romans, anticipated the questions like, then is God unfair? Well, to our earthly minds, it sounds like that. But then we do not have that divine mind where his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So what do we do? We study the intent of the author, and if we believe it is inspired by God, we continue to study. But we dare not look at the scripture based on 21st century philosophy. How do you understand somebody? You understand the intention of the writer. Why did he write this? Carefully studying it. Now, sadly, 
because somebody wanted a printer, a printer, a businessman, wanted to make it easy for us to show where the text is, he put numbers. And that's where the verses came from. The Bible did not have numbers. These were letters, as you would write a letter. There were no even chapters. There was a bishop who put chapters, but then a printer said, let's just put numbers. And you know the funny thing? He did it rushed, cramming, because the print date was coming. He had to do it on a carriage. Some said on a horse. It's hard to believe on a horse somebody's doing that, okay? But on a carriage. That's why you see verses that, what's the point of this verse? Why did he cut it here? He had no time to think completely, you know. Yeah, oh, this makes sense. Let's put a number. Oh, this makes sense. But sometimes he just has to keep writing. That's why when we study the verses, we cannot just take out one verse. Look at this verse. And I find another verse here. And another verse here. Oh, now we have a doctrine. Dangerous. You don't do that. But we preachers are so careless. Instead of saying, the author of the Gospel of John is John. Let's find his intention. Why did he write this? The author of Matthew is Matthew. Who's the audience? They are Jews. Who's the, who is John writing to? Both Jews and Gentiles. There's a way of writing here that the Gentile would appreciate. Going back, unless the Father. So please do not retreat to cliche Christianity. What is cliche Christianity? Most common words used. And I think that's Christianity you memorized. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Romans 10.9 and 10. You memorize a few verses and you think that's Christianity. Then you misrepresent the God you serve. So what do we do? Painstakingly come here and in your growth group, Study this line by line by line by line. Looking at the historical context, not only biblical writers, the real history during that time. And the context of the study, even trying our best to use references in Greek, Hebrew. It's an effort. It's difficult. Why? We do not want to run away from the difficult teachings. We want to face it. So please... Do not go to a sermons that are, oh, I loved it. It's very encouraging. It's practical. I feel good. Well, you need a therapist, not a preacher. Go find a ther- therapist, not a, not, a, not a pastor. Application. Well, one, surrender to Scripture. There are hard sayings in Scripture. Some are difficult to understand and sometimes difficult to accept. What should we do? We must surrender to the Holy Scriptures. No, I don't mean blind acceptance. I want us to study. I want you to question what you hear here and others and to question your former beliefs. You see, when we study, we have to double check. Is this right? The context, this seems to be airtight. Then we have to triangulate. What is triangulation in research? You look at other respected researchers as well and compare your own study with them. 
We have to triangulate. Why? Human error. We're humans and every single preacher can be prone and you can be prone to human error. That's why we study again and again and again. This is a hard teaching, but we have to surrender to Scripture. Otherwise, if you don't surrender, we will grumble and complain about the difficult teachings of the Bible. Next, know the Spirit's role. The text reveals the unity of the Father and the Spirit. As the Father gives genuine believers to Christ, the Spirit gives life. John revealed the unity of Father and the Son. Now we see the unity of the Father, the Spirit, and the Son as well. The unity of the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit gives life, which is also eternal life, that the Son spoke about. And lastly, understand why. Why did Jesus state that no one can come to him unless the Father grants it? Why did he say it? Based on the text, he said such because some did not believe and because he knew about the one who would betray him. Judas Iscariot. I give you a piece of poetry entitled Spirit and Life. Difficult to listen to this. It was much easier to resist. All these word hard sayings, they said, when they only wanted more bread. Jesus knew not all would believe. The truth is they could not perceive. It's also about the Spirit who truly helps us absorb it. Whoever is whoever is not everyone, but only those granted to come. Every word is spirit and life, but hard sayings cut like a knife. Is everyone given access? Can anyone achieve success? In gaining the eternal life, the truth will cut you like a knife. It is the spirit who gives life behind him. No one can connive, believing not everyone can, unless it's granted to a man. It is the Father who grants it. Of course, it's also the Spirit who brings us to believe in Him. That's why we are transformed within. Let us all rise and let us pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you. Decades ago, I could not preach on this because I could not accept it. Yet, by your grace, you clarified that it is indeed you. It is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working in a person. We thank you, Lord, for granting us access. To the Son. And for those who are unsure, we pray, we beseech you, we beg you. We want to believe, help us believe. Like Thomas said, help our unbelief, help us to overcome. We beseech you. Draw us to the Son.
O Father. Bring us to Him that we may embrace His teachings, that we may embrace who He is and what He has done. And for us who do understand, we thank You. Your love is real. It's not because of us, but because of Your love through Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you.